Well, welcome to Horizon. Today we're beginning a brand new series called The 52-Day Plan. We're looking at how Nehemiah found his purpose in life and his chance to connect with significance in life simply by serving other people. With me today is my friend Dave, and tell me a little bit about how God used your personal story from the past, some passions you had, uh, to an opportunity to lead you to where you are today. Well, and, and we're on a tennis court, and, and so, you know, our tennis journey, I played tennis growing up, I played in college and all that, but I'd gotten away from the game for 20 or 25 years, and uh, our younger son was playing on uh, the JV tennis team at his, at his high school, and uh, I'm sure he found out from uh, my son, but the coach found out I was a tennis player, a former tennis player, and wanted me to come and work with the, the, uh, the players on, uh, you know, helping them with their serve. And it was one of those things where I just didn't want to do it. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't played tennis in 20 or 25 years. I didn't going to embarrass myself. And that little voice, you know, that I hear, you know, he kept saying, you got to do this. I didn't know the reason for it, but, you know, I, invent an excuse and then he'd come back and say you need to you need to do this and and so finally I said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and uh, I went and did it and I'd forgotten how much I loved tennis and the joy of tennis and hitting a tennis ball and the 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 players loved it they I think learned a lot so it was a good experience you know for 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 them as well but it got me back into the game and I started playing again. And I started working out um, with a coach. I started going to the gym because you got to be in shape to, you know, to, to, to play tennis. And so I was doing that for a couple of years. And then almost out of nowhere, um, I got a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, which is very unusual in an adult. I was 55 or so at the, at the time. It's normally diagnosed in, in kids. But the best way of managing that disease, I mean, I'm insulin dependent for the rest of my life, but you want to manage the amount of insulin. The best way to do that is through diet and exercise. So God started me down this path to prepare me for dealing with this disease. And, and so I've only kind of taken that one step further now and, and worked out harder and started playing competitively. And, and it's most of the, opponents that I go out on the court don't know I'm fighting two opponents. I'm, I'm battling with them. And at the same time, I'm battling the diabetes and my blood sugar. And, uh, but it's only motivated me more, uh, to try to be the best I can be, um, in, uh, in, you know, pretty difficult circumstances with, with, you know, with, with that disease, but our whole lifestyle that my, both myself and my wife have gotten into of being active, playing tennis, working out, it's clearly inspired others, um, and that's a you know a good feeling you know in terms of both success and significance. The significance part of it for me is is helping others, and and um, so the number of friends we've had that have gotten back into tennis, or started going to the gym, uh, or changed their diet um, has really really been um, you know something that we're very proud of, and just feel so lucky that we can be you know, helping these people change their lives as well. And how has your confidence in God gone up in the sense that he saw things coming in advance that you didn't see and that you sensed that God was maybe with you and preparing you? So how did your maybe confidence in who God is go up? And then how did that lead to maybe a business endeavor out of this? Well, you just got to, you just got to kind of trust, trust him, you know, that he'll, he'll lead you, you know, down the, the right path. And, 
And, you know, I'd experienced that from the beginning. And so every step along the way has kind of built my confidence that if I listen to him, if I listen to that voice and don't keep making excuses or try to overrule them, which I think we too often do, yeah. is we overrule them and do something we, should, we shouldn't do. Um, you know, he was encouraging me, take it to the next step. And so I noticed that there was an opportunity in tennis that, you know, the materials used in other sports hadn't really been brought into tennis. So we've done that now with 98.6 with a men's line of, of tennis apparel that helps keep you cooler. And we're using that as a vehicle to take 10% of the profits of, of 98.6 and to put them into inner city tennis programs. Mm. So kids that otherwise would not have access to this great game can get access to it. So, so, you know, we, at every step we've, you know, he's just, you know, done more in terms of building our confidence that he's heading us down the, the right path. And who knows what the next step is, but, but, you know, we're on a journey that is clearly transform our life from, this is something that I hadn't done for 20 or 25 years. And now it's something I've, you know, reconnected to. And, you know, I think that's a learning for folks. Everybody has something from their past that they loved, mm. whether it's, you know, maybe, you know, playing an instrument, musical instrument, it might be, you know, dancing, you know, doesn't matter what it is, reconnecting to it and then using it as a power or source of good, you know, to help others, I think is something that's, you know, very invigorating. Well, we certainly find that today with Nehemiah because Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. He's high influence, high success, but he sees an opportunity to use his skills, his talents and his passions and his unique position to serve other people. And God uses that literally to transform history. So join us today as we dive into Nehemiah's story and what it looks like to find your unique burden and your unique passion. You know, when you hear Dave's story, it reminds me that all of us are looking for a challenge, but we don't necessarily want the challenges, right? I don't want challenges in my life, but I do want to feel like my life matters, that I'm making a difference. Have you ever sensed that you wanted a grander vision for your life? That you look around at the broken walls in life and just say, you know what? Somebody needs to fix that. I want to be part of that. That's what our series 52-Day Plan is all about. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, we hear about a leader who's able to make incredible changes, incredible difference in his world by really stepping into some needs around him. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall, he rebuilt this wall, was finished on the 25th day in 52 days. Something had not been accomplished in 70 years. This leader got done in only 52 days. And when it happened, all our enemies heard about it. And all the nations around us saw these things and they were very disheartened in their own eyes when they perceived that God had done this work and Nehemiah had been part of it. Let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah and why it's important to understand what's going on here. Well, if we jump back to Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is living a very comfortable life, having a very successful career, long, long way away from these broken walls of Jerusalem, his hometown. In fact, it's possible he's never seen these walls because he's been in Persia. And these walls were torn down some 70, maybe even 100 years ago. So our story begins in Nehemiah chapter 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, it came to pass in the month of Chislel in the 20th year as I was in Sushan, the citadel, 
Then Henani, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped the captivity and concerning Jerusalem, his hometown. And in verse 11 it says, For I was the king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah is doing fine, thank you very much. He is the cupbearer to the king, but hundreds of miles away is his hometown where many of his family members and relatives are living in a broken city with broken walls. And this isn't just some fanciful story or Aesop's fable. We actually have archaeological evidence of exactly all of this occurring in history. Quick biblical history here. Now if you go back in the Bible, we have Moses sometime around 1500 B.C., Then we fast forward to Joshua and Judges, where they inhabit the land of Israel. Then we have three major kings. Maybe you've heard of David, Solomon, and Solomon's descendants. Now they get conquered, those kings, by Assyria, which gets conquered by Babylon. They're there in Babylon. The city's been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed for 70 years. Now, at that point, Persia comes in and conquers Babylon. And they don't have any problem per se with the Hebrews, so they begin to let the Hebrews return to their broken down walls, broken down temple, and broken down life. Nehemiah's been living in Persia, and he senses that he wants to return to his homeland and be part of the legacies of God's promises. Again, there's lots and lots of archaeological evidence for this. What do I mean? Well, take example, we have found archaeological remains of the villages that those Judean exiles were in, those Hebrews. There's models of it recreated, that while Babylon had conquered them, they created villages for them to stay. We've also found the evidence for when Persia took over from Babylon. There's a massive gate, a huge gate and city for the palace that Nehemiah would have served in. These were the gates of both Cyrus as well as the gates of Xerxes. So imagine, this is the lifestyle, this is the the comfort, this is the power structure Nehemiah is serving in hundreds of miles from a bunch of broken walls. Now, when we look at these archaeological finds, we find that there was a a moat that went around the area and the king was sitting in a king's gate and a throne room. In fact, as we examine those pieces, you'll see just the throne room, the courtyard, multiple pieces here that allow us to understand this was a real place. Not only that, but Nehemiah was a real person. And he's serving right here in this throne room. And he's going to leave all that, all that luxury, all that comfort. If you look at top view of what it might have looked like in that day, this was a massive palace in a massive area. When you zoom in, you see what the courtyard looked like. And these Persian courtyards were beautiful. And he's serving right here in luxury. And it's into that one of his friends returns from the broken down walls of Jerusalem, having traveled hundreds of miles and begins to talk about what life is like outside of the palace. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah becomes interested. Tell me more about that. What's going on? People are in disrepair. People aren't protected. Commerce and business can't function because there's no wall to protect them. Huh. Maybe I need to ask some questions and learn more. And that's what he does. In fact, I think that's one of the most important things that you and I are going to look at today. It's a question Nehemiah asked that maybe you and I should ask as well. When we assess the needs around us, relationship needs, family needs, needs in our community, 
let's ask the question that Nehemiah asks. What am I uniquely burdened by? When somebody mentions something, I lean in and say, hey, tell me more about that. It's so much so it becomes something I'm uniquely obsessed with. I can't stop thinking about that. I can't stop dreaming about that. And whether your gifts are gifts of creativity or management or problem solving, you find yourself saying, I need to do something about that. You're uniquely burdened, uniquely obsessed, but then you begin to see your own skills, talents, and you say, I think I, think I might be uniquely positioned with my skills, with my networks, with my influences to do something about this. In fact, to join God in what he's doing in my community or in my family. What does that question look like for you? What am I uniquely burdened, uniquely obsessed, and uniquely positioned to join God in doing? You remember what it said in Nehemiah? He's uniquely burdened. There's something about this casual conversation about what's going on hundreds of miles away that has Nehemiah go, whoa, I got some questions about that. He starts to lean in and ask questions about that problem. What are the problems that get your mind questioning, that you find your heart leaning in toward? Is it poverty? Is it improving people's marriages? Is it getting the finances right? Because there's a lot of confusion in your organization? Is it about maybe better leadership so people feel equipped and people feel led and people feel empowered? Maybe you feel uniquely called to change the culture. What are the problems that keep your mind asking questions? Now, Hanani, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah, way, 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 way. And I, Nehemiah, asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity. Seventy years they'd been under bondage. And concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, he's asking questions about the problem. The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress. There's a problem. There's a need. People are are in trouble. There's great distress and reproach. People are making fun of them. Nice city. Nice God. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. See all the needs here? Gates burned with fire, a wall that's broken down, people in reproach, people in distress. These are the things that grab his attention. And so it was that when I heard about the needs, I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. And I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. How about for you? Is there some need that when you've come across it, You found yourself not just leaning in, but almost burdened by it. Wow. Why doesn't somebody fix that? Here's what I might do if I was going to fix that. I wonder if I should be the one that fixes that. Maybe you pray about it. Maybe like Nehemiah, it breaks your heart. Maybe you're not physically crying, but you're emotionally concerned, maybe even angry that no one's fixed that. Or maybe you don't have anything like that in your life right now. But you, boy, I wish I had something. I wish I had something that moved me passionately, that I felt really burdened by, that I could make a difference in. Maybe it's opening your eyes to the needs all around you and saying, God, what are the 
walls? What are the needs? What are the concerns that maybe I've insulated myself from that you want to nudge me, prick my heart, draw me to make a difference? Now that certainly was true for me. Sometimes it's the things that make you sad. Other times it's the things that make you mad. I remember as a kid sitting in church and I loved God. I saw faith being a dynamic part of my friends' lives and my parents' lives. And I would come into a church service and it would drive me crazy that this service was so boring, that they were taking this message that could change people's life, that it changed my life, and they were presenting it in a way that was so incredibly dull and boring, dry and dusty. On the other hand, I'd go to churches that they decided to present it in a way that was light and fluffy. It was entertaining, but there was no depth there. And I had a burden as a kid, and it continued into my adult life, that things could be different. Instead of dry and dusty or light and fluffy, the teaching of the Bible could be deep and compelling. So even in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I was a magician, I was a juggler, I was a, a balloon artist, I was a lip syncer. I actually won a lip sync contest in my, in my hometown. I began to travel around all through high school and present the Bible and faith and life stories through comedy and magic and juggling because I wanted people to know how this message could change your life. Now amazingly, sometimes I was invited to non-religious groups and I learned how to present to people who didn't necessarily believe in Jesus, God, or the Bible. Other times I got invited to Christian groups and I learned how to present using creative means to people who maybe did want to go deeper. Little would I know that 30, 40 years later, the church I would be part of had exactly that mission. An exploring service, deep and compelling Bible teaching for those who may not be convinced about Jesus, God, and the Bible, what we call our exploring service, and our equipping service where we go verse by verse by verse deeply into the Bible for those 20-year Bible veterans who want to deeply understand the greater truths. But God took that need, that frustration I had as a kid and as a high school student and said, I need to do something about that. I want to uniquely use my gifts for that. But that's church stuff, right? What about business? A couple of years ago, we had all of our greeters gather together to hear the story of the, one of the owner managers of Ritz-Carlton, Hort Schultz. And he described his absolute passion for good management, vision, values, and customer service. He said one of the things that motivated him was an experience he had with his first hotel. They opened this first hotel and things were going swimmingly. Unbelievable customer service, unbelievable uh, personal touches in the way they interacted with customers. But at the end of the year, all the customer surveys came back and said that room service, well, the service stunk. He was so frustrated by it. He said, I wasn't a good manager back then, so I called in room service and I just chewed him out. But that didn't fix the problem. He started to think, how do I repair this? How do I fix this? So he just kept yelling, kept throwing management stuff at it. He couldn't figure out why they couldn't get the numbers for customer service up related to room service. It took him two to three years before he put a team on it to deeply understand the problem. Here's what they found. They found that the cooks were doing a great job. The food was being cooked and ordered in a timely manner. 
the waiters were grabbing the food and working over to the elevator in a timely manner. But when they arrived at the elevator, that's where the problems began. What happened? Well, when they got to the elevator, they would wait and wait and wait. You see, most people wanted their breakfast at the same time everyone was exiting the building. And so there was a real crunch with the elevator. So they brought in the Otis people. Is the elevator the problem? No. But the elevators were part of the problem, but they were functioning correctly. As they began to examine this week after week, they noticed that it was during the 9 a.m. to 12 o'clock time frame that the elevators often would get stuck on certain floors. So they went to investigate. (laughs) Housekeeping was the problem. Yes, housekeeping was opening the doors so they could bring all the laundry out from the entire floor before they went down to the laundry area, which was blocking room service from getting the food up timely. So he pulls in housekeeping. He says, what's wrong here? I cannot believe you're holding the doors up during the most important time. All these years we've gotten bad reviews because of this. To which the housekeeping guy said, well, here's our problem. We only have one set of sheets per bed. And we have got to get all of those sheets off and laundered, all of them clean by noon, so that we can get them back on and ready for the next guest. To which Hort said, why in the world do we only have one set of sheets? To which housekeeping said, Do you remember three years ago when we opened? Yes. You remember we weren't sure about all of our expenses and you told us to cut some costs? Yes. You told us back then we were only allowed one set of sheets per room. Oh. And what Hortz realized is the decision he made three years ago to cut costs had actually affected three years of management, three years of people being able to do a good job, and three years of customers not being served well. That became a passion of his, not to let cost cutting, where you save a dime uh, for the day, lose all the money for all those years of bad reviews. And he began to change his management style. He began to change his ability to see problems are much more complex than you might think. And he began to realize that customer service, serving people well, was his need and passion. Our greeters that day, as they were listening to Hort's talk, said, we want Horizon to be a place like that. When people come in the door, they are served well. They are loved well. They are welcomed well. It began with a need that turned into a burden. So for Nehemiah, this moves from something he's uniquely burdened with to something he's uniquely obsessed with. The thing he just can't keep out of his mind. He just keeps thinking about Jerusalem. Reproach, distress, those walls. How can I live such an insulated, comfortable life when people I care about are in need? He becomes uniquely obsessed with this idea. Is there anything in your life that has moved from a could be to a should be? There's a lot of things that could happen, right? And they're good things. But something happens when something moves from a could be We could do this, we could do that, that could be changed. To in your heart it becomes a should be. Man, somebody should do something about this. Then you move from not just somebody should do something about this, maybe I should do something about this, right? And call that your conscience, call that your heart, call that God. You just sense that there's something you need to be part of and you find yourself brainstorming about it, problem solving about it, wondering about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I should, oh, it'd be too much work. I'm going to move from Persia. That sounds like a drag. 
but it becomes a moral imperative, a should sitting in your heart. Notice how this happens with Nehemiah. So I began to pray about it. Lord, God of heaven, oh great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. Before I talk about what he says about the servants, notice it's day and night. He's praying, he's wondering, he's becoming obsessed with how God might want to help this need and how God might want him to be part of the solution. Your servants, remember I pray. Remember your servants, your people. I remember some promises going way back to 1500 B.C., What are those promises? Thousand-year-old promises. What you told Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, and we were, I will scatter you among the nations. God did. Babylon took over. But if you return to me, that's what we're doing, and keep my commandments, that's what I want to do, and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of heavens, yet, see the yet? Yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Do you feel the should, the moral imperative there? Yeah, there's a promise from God that our people shouldn't live with broken walls and a, a rundown place. Maybe I could be part of what God is doing not only now, but part of a promise that goes back a thousand years. I think that's what God might be prompting you and I to do. What are the things God's talked about, his priorities? Helping people, serving people, loving people, managing things well, treating people with respect. We say, I wanna tap into those things so they flow through my life, they flow through my work, they flow through what I spend my time doing. When that happens, work becomes, relationships become, families become more than just something that you could do. It's something you should do. Building a great marriage, building a a fantastic family, building deep connections with your kids, creating a workplace that people care and respect one another, can have healthy conflict and move forward with great ideas. What might God be capturing your heart with? And how might what you're burdened by He tapped into some eternal truth that he set up to rule the universe or promise from the past. That's what he's getting at here. That's why he continues to pray. Lord, I pray, please, 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 let your ear be attentive to my prayer, the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. For me and for those I'm going to help. And let your servant prosper this day. I want to be successful in this endeavor. I pray Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah's already starting to think. If I'm going to be part of this, I need the favor of the king. Remember, he's cupbearer to the king. The king and my position could help finance and get the machinery needed to meet this need. But God, this is never going to work if I don't have the favor of this man. He's already starting to pray about the things outside of his control that God might need to influence in order for him to move 
forward. Now, often God uses challenges in our life and the unexpected things in our life to redirect our careers, redirect our hearts, and to redirect us from success to significance. In fact, you heard earlier the story of uh, my friend Dave. As I continued to interview Dave that day on the tennis courts, he shared another example of how God used a challenge in his life, kind of the Hanaya in his life, to turn him toward what God is doing and to steer him towards serving people, helping others, and opening his life to a grander vision. Let's hear Dave describe that next stage in his journey of finding his unique burden and his unique passion. I think whenever God begins to shape us, it's ultimately him inviting us into a closer relationship with him. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. Like, where did you grow up spiritually, and how did God use that to form some of the ventures that you have right now? Well, um, I feel like I've always had a strong faith. I grew up Catholic, and, as which you were forced to have a strong faith. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've just always been a believer in that God puts us on this earth for a purpose, and he speaks to us, and he speaks to us in the form of that little voice in your head. And, and I just think, unfortunately, we as humans don't listen enough, and we overrule. And so I've you know, come to learn that when I listen to him and I listen to what he's telling me to do, even though it may not seem like the right path, it's the beginning of the, the right path. And, and I had an you know, experience in my professional life that uh, I was at... Convergis for nearly 20 years. The last three years, I was CEO of Convergis. And to my surprise, I was fired mm. in 2010. And I didn't do anything wrong. It's The board wanted to go a, a different direction. We had a falling out. But it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. Um, front page of the Inquirer, back when people read the Inquirer, my kids heard about it at school. I mean, I wanted to run away and hide. And, and um, But I had um, made a commitment that same year to run the United Way campaign for all of greater Cincinnati. And that's the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to be out in public. It's going to be embarrassing. And, and, and so he started, you know, he just kept speaking to me. I'd come up with an excuse and he kept saying, you need to do this. And so I went forward and, and did it. And it helped me learn about a lot of the challenges we have in terms of education and poverty in the greater Cincinnati um, uh, area. And um, so I finished the campaign, ran the campaign, and a friend approached me uh, about coming in and running economic development for the chamber. Again, something I really, I didn't have any experience with, I really didn't want to do, I still wanted to run away and hide. And, and again, he kept saying to me, you gotta, you gotta do this. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go with you again. And um, I, I did, and it helped me learn about the challenges companies were facing in terms of getting the workers they needed with the right skills. And so I finished that up and then I started thinking the experience of United Way with challenges in the community, then the challenges employers are having and taking some of my business experience, a business I knew at Convergis, putting all three of those things together and forming education at work. And that's a company that you started? It's a company that, uh, that we founded that's designed to you know, help college students get through college more affordably. Hmm. So they go through the program. They can pay for 80 to 90% of their college and then get a job with many of the companies that we're, you know, we're doing the 
the workforce. So I, I put together the business plan and we needed to raise, you know, three and a half million dollars to, to get it going. And I went out and I talked to every, seemed like everyone in the community and, and everybody thought it was a great idea, but I couldn't get anybody to commit the money that we needed. So eventually, um, one night I remember going home and talking to my wife, Kim, again, he's speaking to me saying, Hey, you got to show people you're all in. We need to make a substantial financial investment in this to be the first ones in if this is going to, if we're really going to do this and make it a go. And he told me we needed to do that. And I said to Kim, Kim, we need to do this. So we did. And then shortly after that, the rest of the money started coming in from College of Mount St. Joe, University of Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky University. And uh, we raised the three and a half million dollars. Uh, we started in 2012 and now, um, you know, through this year have helped uh, in terms of assistance, you know, over 60 million dollars paid to students. Thousands of students have been benefited. And then the average starting salary of these students once they graduate is seventy five thousand dollars a year. So, you know, it's been a, a great opportunity for having both, you know, success and creating an environment where, you know, people can earn a good living, but also significance where you have an organization that really is all about helping these students be successful. And, uh, you know, that's a powerful force when, when you're able to put it together. Again, I think what I love about that part of the story, too, is that it just started with you serving other people, right? Just like Nehemiah did. Sure. It started with saying, you know, I don't necessarily even want to do this, but if there's a need, I want to meet you in the need. So that's what God does. What are you uniquely positioned for? What are your skill sets that you have that maybe are being untapped? And how might God use all of us to move from success to significance? You know, I loved interviewing Dave that day because he had his own broken walls. Didn't even realize it. A combination of, you know, losing a job and humiliation led him to meet a need with tennis. All of a sudden, it was not just tennis, it was understanding the needs of the community and rescuing generations from debt. And now it was in his marriage and family, wow, I didn't realize there's some walls of good, healthy habits and good relationships with people around us that could be improved. God used those different challenges to give him a burden to rebuild some walls in his own life. Maybe God will do the same thing for you. You know, I've been talking to a lot of guys at our church have been part of the men's ministry. Maybe you've never been in a small group, whether it's a women's small group or a men's small group. But I was talking to Ken the other day about the guys who were meeting Sunday nights or Monday mornings. He shared a story with a guy who was very, very successful, who he's known for many, many years, who started getting into a group and sharing his story. And his story was he was doing very fine in the tech industry and was felt challenged. But he also felt like there was more for him to do. But he wasn't sure what it was. However, he discovered it through his wife. His wife had come across this opportunity to help young ladies, specifically girls in prostitution, feel loved and cared for. So this program, this nonprofit, simply took roses to prostitutes and just handed it to them and said, we love you and we want you to know you're cared for. That simple act of kindness grew into a bigger opportunity. That started conversations, not necessarily about God initially, but about why are you giving me a rose? Why are you giving me without wanting something in return? That began to turn into several women in, in the lifestyle down in Atlanta initially, wanting to know if maybe there was a different way to live. It then gave this nonprofit an opportunity to start investigating the problems of the sex trade industry 
And all of a sudden, as his wife began to come home and tell these stories of loving on these prostitutes, caring for them, beginning to untangle and break up these, these, these evil sex trafficking things, he began to be very interested. He went with his wife to one of the events and he began to hear the stories of real people, real women breaking free from that lifestyle. He said, I got to be part of that. So he and his wife began to invest and serve and get involved. They became obsessed with the idea of we can be part of this. And it's expanded. First it was in Atlanta. Now there's one here in, in Ohio. And all of a sudden he's, he's still doing very successful work at his business, but also finding ways to use some of his expertise, some of his talents, some of his passion, some of his finances to be part of something that's part of a grander vision, a bigger challenge that ties into God's priorities. So like Nehemiah, he's uniquely burdened, uniquely obsessed, but he begins to also wrestle with, am I uniquely positioned? What do I mean? Think about your talents, your networks, your place of work, where you live, what you know, who you know. And ask yourself, how can I leverage my current position, my current power, and even my station in life? Didn't have any time when the kids were running around. Now the kids are out of the house. I'm in a different station of life. How might I use and invest my time now to different priorities, to a grander vision? Here's how Nehemiah says it. I was the king's cupbearer. Yeah, maybe I didn't just get this job and earn this job. Maybe God wants to use this place and maybe even God placed me here for such a time as this. How about you? Is it possible that you're living in a particular neighborhood around people that have needs that you wouldn't have met if you weren't in that neighborhood? Is it possible that the unique upbringing you had, the things that you walked around and saw, God might use? Is it possible that the relationships you've built, the resources you've invested, the resources you've saved, God's placed you in that neighborhood, in that department, in this station in life so that you can invest your life in a grander vision, a grander challenge. And what if you spent the next 52 days, as all of us are going to challenge ourselves to do here at Horizon, say, God, I just want to pray. Open my eyes to the needs around me. I'm open to how you might want me to step out of my insulated walls and look over at other people's walls that might be broken down and see how I might be uniquely positioned to help. See, and Nehemiah was growing up in the, and serving in the halls of power. Here's a Persian throne room that archaeologists found. This is what it would look like in Nehemiah's day. Here's the kind of halls of power he operated in. And he knew maybe I'm the king's cupbearer so I could ask the king for a decree. That's what a Persian decree looked like. That maybe the king and my position and his influence could help me get the resources needed to go back and rebuild those walls. We've developed a tool as a church to help all of us go on a journey to look at broken down walls in our life. It might be areas of our health that we need to expand. It might be areas of business we need to relook at. It might be our spiritual connection to, to eternal things we need to reexamine. Maybe a marriage that needs to be improved. 
relationship with our kids that need to be restored. But I want you to take the 52-day challenge. For the next 52 days, we've set out an activity, a challenge, an idea for every day of the month for the next 52 days to take the 52-day challenge. You can download that at www.horizoncc.com forward slash challenge. And it's going to give you 52 days of activities. Some are easy. Some are reflective. But ways of saying, God, I'd like something like Nehemiah had. How do I do it? Well, take the 52-day challenge. It'll say day one, try this. Day two, try that. Day three, and each week will build on the previous weeks as we begin to wonder what God might be doing in your life and in mine. Because let's face it, as a church, we're in one sense rebuilding as well, right? I mean, this last nine months has been crazy. Uncertainty, fear, depression, business uncertainty, financial uncertainty. It's just been everywhere. So for the last nine months, we've been doing online services, trying to create resources directly for you, right? We did those pathways and those promises and those reflections early on to help give you things you could hold on to and, and walk through our prayer journey during the week just to sense how to trust God during the uncertainty. However, about 10 weeks ago, we reopened. So now besides online services, we have 100-person capacity in the room. It's only about 25% of our capacity. So then we rented and then bought a tent so we can fit about 200 people out there following social distancing. We opened our student ministry just a few weeks ago. Our children's ministry has been running activities in the afternoons after church. We just started doing baptisms again. In one sense, we like Nehemiah have begun the process of rebuilding the walls of where we've been for the last 20 years. And I can't tell you, every week somebody comes in the door says, Chad, it's my first week back, but I've been watching services for the last nine months, ever since March. And Chad, it's been such an encouragement to me. And I've had at least 10 people say, Chad, can you believe how God prepared us as a church by having the video equipment we needed for these online services? I've said, it's been amazing, right? It's been amazing how faithful God has been that the financial giving, the serving, the preparing, the technical expertise we needed was in place just in time for what we needed this year. Well, this next phase is we're reopening. Like I said, we got two services now. And if you're ready, we'd love to have you come back. If you're ready to serve, we've got needs. We'd love to have you come serve and greet and help and we're cleaning everything between services. We need people to serve during this time. And maybe financially, just like people gave financially so that we could have the video equipment in place for the things we're doing now, you want to be part of giving financially, be part of what God's doing here at Horizon to prepare for our next phase. What are the walls we're discerning that God might be calling us to rebuild next? Throughout this series, I'm going to give you more and more detail about what God's doing specifically as we're pursuing him as a church but also give you tools so you can figure out what God's challenging you to do to serve. Maybe it's filling a blue bag as we help those in the inner city. Maybe it's just praying about ways you can restore the relationships around you. Whatever it is, I want to pray that you will use this, this tool that we've given you, the 52-day plan, to find the best version of you and the best version of life. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you for these stories. Thank you for this example of what it looks like to move from success to significance. And I ask that as a church, you will move all of us to lean in and listen in to your work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.